Hello everyone, this is George Mapp with the Carolina Tar Wheels. Today we have Dr. David Burkhoff. Dr. Burkhoff is a physician and a medical researcher with a specialty in minimally invasive treatments for tendon injuries. Uh, Dr. Burkhoff spoke at our recent Tar Wheels meeting and he drew an overflow crowd. Here's Dr. Burkhoff. So tendonitis is something that's an interest of mine, but I think for all of us as we get less young, tendon problems <laughs> become more common. Um, and active people like everybody in this room, it's, it's something everyone's going to have a problem with at some point in time. You know, they always say don't start a talk with an excuse or a joke, and I, I'm all out of excuses, so we'll just start with a joke. So what do you call Kevin Bacon with no Achilles tendon? <laughs> I can tell you, I searched for months to try to find a tendon joke, and that's the only one. In um, so, you know, the thing Gary's trying to talk about, what are we going to talk about? So kind of what is tendonitis? And I define tendonitis differently than tendinosis. It's kind of the acute versus the chronic, and I think it makes a big difference because we don't treat everything the same. And that may be why we have treatment failures, because we're treating an acute problem with a chronic plan or vice versa, uh, why we get it, kind of the old school and the new school treatments. Um, <laughs> acute is different than chronic. Uh, PT is physical therapy. So the therapeutic exercises that we send people to or we teach, they really are the most important part, whether it's preventatively or rehabilitation to treat it. There is a lot of literature to support that. <laughs> Uh, steroids, right, panacea, everybody wants the steroid shot, shoot me up, get me back on the bike. Um, hopefully I'll convince you maybe that's not always the right answer. There are a lot of other options. Most doctors hate taking care of tendonitis because it's chronic, it doesn't go away, it's always in endurance athletes who are kind of, you know, they're, they're difficult to treat. Have you defined it? Not yet, no. Uh, I probably won't. Um, so, so what is tendonitis? And I don't think we really know. Is it an overuse condition? Is it from repetitive use? Like, are we getting our patellar tendonitis because our bike fit was wrong? Uh, Achilles tendonitis. You know, why are you running and running and running, and then that one day you walk across the street, your Achilles starts to hurt, and you're sidelined for the next year. So, you know, what was it about that moment that made something different than the last 20 years? Uh, and the reality is it's probably a little bit of everything. Um, when we talk about what tendons are involved, I pretty much argue it's anything in the body could be involved. The things that we most commonly see, Achilles tendon, patellar tendon, our elbow tendons are really common, so kind of golfer's elbow and tennis elbow. Um... We have the ankle tendons, hamstring tendons. So in cyclists, a lot of triathletes, uh, we see a lot of high hamstring tendonitis. It's a really difficult thing to treat. It's chronic, and it can be really, really debilitating on the bike. Rotator cuffs. So when we talk about rotator cuff problems, right? Rotator cuff. It's the tendon that's the problem. So rotator cuff is a tendinopathy. Uh, we got wrist problems. Um, IT band. <clears throat> Something we see a lot in bikers who have knee problems. IT band, or what we call an IT band bursitis, is really like a tendonitis, not a bursitis. So there's a, it's all of us, it's everywhere, and it's everything related to whether it's biking or running or in triathletes between all the sports, I can get just about tendonitis out of anybody. So why are tendons, why are they the weak link? 
I think it all boils down to their blood supply. Areas that have poor blood supply, they, they can't get the goods delivered to heal well, and if that's the problem, they just, they, they don't have the, you know, the, the regenerative capacity that some of our other tissues do. So tendons in general get blood supply directly from the bone where they connect. They get blood supply from vessels that come through the, the mesotendon, which is kind of the surrounding tendon sheath, and then right at this musculotendinous junction. But often it's left with this watershed area. And if anyone who's ever had Achilles tendon problems here, usually it's about half the room. Like, there's this watershed area right here where you got blood supply coming from here. It might be coming from up here and here. But there's this area where it just doesn't get good blood supply. And that's in a lot of our tendons. It's why they heal so slow. It's why once you get tendinopathy or tendinitis, it's kind of yours for a while. And you have to deal with that and work through it because it's just not going to heal quickly. So we've gone through all sorts of different models of kind of why we get it. And we don't really know. So I've kind of boiled it down to what I think the three different models maybe of why we get tendinopathy and then why I don't think they might be the real answer. So there's the mechanical model, right? Everyone says it's just because you rode your bike too much. It's just because you ran too much or you played too much golf. Um, and this could be like the overuse phenomenon or the repetitive use and the microtrauma, which definitely contributes to tendonitis. Um, but the problem with that is, if imagine this were your elbow bone and this is the tendon as they all come across and attach, the most superficial fibers cover the greatest distance, they're the most stretched, right? And the deep fibers, they're covering less distance, they move less. Yet if you look at tendinopathy, whether it's at the Achilles, whether it's the patellar tendon, at the knee, at the elbow, it's the deep fibers that are always most affected, right? It's the ones that are technically under the least stress. So why are the ones loaded the least, the ones that always seem to fail the most? Additionally, with this kind of micro-tear or overuse model, we see lots of people who have tears but no pain, or pain but not a whole lot of dysfunction in terms of the tendon structure. So maybe that model's not the answer. There's this vascular model. Um, this is an ultrasound picture of an Achilles tendon, and all this, so you can see a little bit of that color there. So tendons, I just told you, don't have a good blood supply, right? So if you ultrasound a tendon, and that's one of my favorite modalities for looking at things, and turn this Doppler on or color flow, it should just be gray. It should be quiet. There shouldn't be much color on there. When we see acute tendinopathy or chronic, they, they light up like a Christmas tree. There's color all over the place. So there's something to that extra vascularity. And I wrote VEG up there. It's one of the, the endothelial growth factors. One of these factors that we know in an acute injury, VEGF is upregulated, and you get more blood supply, right? That's how we heal something. But then it's supposed to get downregulated, and we see in a lot of chronic tendinopathy that that blood supply is still there. So maybe there's something to that, these extra little microvessels that are there that are causing pain. Uh, and then there's just the good old-fashioned tendons are innervated, and when you have a bad tendon cell, there's some nerve signal that's just sending signal back to your brain that says something's wrong. And, Although it sounds like the least fancy and scientific, I actually think there's probably the most credence to this. Because if you look at how a surgeon fixes chronic tendinopathy, I always, you know, if you Google tendon when you go home, you just like get a nice and anatomic picture. It's this yellowy, almost silver, nice and clear band. It's very tough. And tendinopathy is like if you put a piece of grizzle in your steak right in the middle of that, it's just this gray, grizzly yuck. And, you know, the surgeons, right, I'm not a surgeon, I'm the non-surgical guy. They just, you know, it's always hammers and nails. So cut it open, cut it out, and then the problem's gone. Because if you get out the yuck, 
it doesn't hurt anymore. So they didn't fix anything, we just took out the yuck. And it may just be that that degenerative tissue is what's causing pain. So the reality is, when you ask about like what causes it, right? Probably a little bit of all of that, some of none. So it's, it's a smattering of everything. Um, so the challenge is, we can't really define why you get it. Um, they're really common. And we don't know why some, you know, your ankle, your Achilles hurts today, tomorrow it's better, um, but your IT band all of a sudden wants it's flared up. We're struggling with this for a year. So like, what's different about each different injury? Imaging is important for tendons. So we have all sorts of ways, and kind of the answer has always been orthopedics and MRI, because MRI seem to not only diagnose, but fix most things, right? You feel better after your $2,000. <laughs> ultrasound to me is probably the best modality it's dynamic we do it in clinic it's non-invasive it's a very quick and easy thing that I use and now all across orthopedics to help look at tendons we can actually look at tendons and one of the things I threw in just because I thought you know a group might be interested in seeing kind of what are we doing that's new so there's a new machine we actually got the first one in the US it's a company out of the Netherlands so they took an ultrasound machine that's an ultrasound probe and made this fancy tracker which basically scans up along a tendon and creates a 3D model of the tendon. They scanned these tendons and then took the tendon out and looked at each pixel along the way, what that pixel represented. So we can now clearly with this machine, and it color coats it, have an idea of not just now, I mean we've all seen ultrasounds, right? It's kind of a bit of a Rorschach test, right? It's gray and I can tell you it looks good or bad and you won't know the difference. So it doesn't matter with this, it color codes it. So there's green. Green correlates to healthy tendon. There's black, which is just a tear. There's red, which is degenerative tissue. So we can now quantify structurally along the length of the tendon what kind of tendon quality you have. And we've taken it to kind of a whole new way to start to evaluate tendons. Uh, this technology is really, really cool. We've done a whole bunch of research studies with it, trying to roll it into clinic now. Right now we're only using it for Achilles and patellar tendons. So. All right, so here's the, the crux of the talk. There's tendonitis, that's on the left. That's an inflammatory problem. That's an acute inflammatory problem, like when you sprain your ankle or anything else. Then there's tendinosis. And, you know, again, the, the difference, the, the picture is just lots going on and very little going on. And in the very little going on, what we found is tendinosis, or chronic tendinitis, it's almost the opposite of inflammatory. There's very few inflammatory cells. As a matter of fact, it's called mucoid degeneration, where the organization of the tendon just falls apart and it's just, you know, the muck I was talking about. So it's just this degenerative tissue. So if you have a degenerative lesion, maybe some of our ideas for treatment aren't, aren't the right solutions. Um, and so this is kind of the, 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 the model that we always have a hard time with. Because here you are, we're normal, you do some exercise, you get an acute inflammatory tendonitis, right? Your patellar tendon hurts after a ride, and then it doesn't go away and you have this chronic tendonitis. The problem is there's a whole other group of people that have normal tendons and either they were ignoring it or they didn't really feel it and then boom they kind of skip right to this chronic tendinosis and we don't know why there's a whole gap there in people and that may be why sometimes you have that little kind of nagging thing that all of a sudden you got this big swollen knot in your Achilles and it won't go away. Uh, causes of degeneration so repetitive load, runners, bikers, swimmers in the shoulders, right? Just, uh, I see a ton of people from GE who make the Boeing engines, right? Just 2,000 screws a day, that's all they do, and they all have elbow tendonitis. And so there's clearly a repetitive use component to that. 
um, bad ergonomics, uh, environmental exposure. So I'm sure if you haven't all heard, at least everyone should be aware, um, there are uh, antibiotics out there, the fluoroquinolones, that are associated now pretty strongly in some people with uh, tendinopathy. So if you get pneumonia and they give you Cipro, um, doesn't mean you're going to get tendinitis, but there's a small group of people who take these medicines who are more susceptible to kind of just no reason tendinopathies and often very, very difficult to treat. So as athletic people, and like I always, you know, athletes to me or anyone who's still athletic, whether it's our D1 athletes, our snowboard team for the U.S. or any of us in this room, like you should know that because maybe if your doc wants to give you Leviquin, you can ask for something different because you want to ride and bike fest in August or something, right? So there are just things maybe we can know that help keep us on the bike. So why are treatments inconsistent in the results? I think it's because we're not always treating one the same problem, acute versus chronic, and two, all tendinitis is not the same. So you know, here's here's our kind of our usual. This is what we do, right? We throw some Motrin at it because Motrin fixes everything. Then we splint it and brace it because that always seems like a good idea. We shut it down because everyone always says rest. Um, then maybe some PT, and then when all else fails, you go for the steroid shot, right? So I typically I see people when they're down around dot five, right? I just want the steroid shot because I need to get back out there. We might have missed our opportunity somewhere along the way. Um, so it's simply ice. And like, what is the evidence for these things? Does ice really help? Uh, we don't know. There's actually, if you go back and truly look, there's no literature to say that icing a sore tendon does anything uh, in terms of helping it heal, but it sure does feel good. Um, and I think feeling good and maybe that just cryotherapy, I still recommend it because sometimes just getting rid of inflammation in the acute phase might help. But, you know, it's an analgesic effect as much as anything. And some people argue, well, if you put too much ice on, you're restricting blood flow, and you know, in the acute problem, you need some blood flow to try to heal things. So, you know, okay, ice might or might not work. What about anti-inflammatories? So, you know, that 800 of Motrin, that handful of Aleve we're all taking every day before your ride, like, should we take that for your tendinitis? Um, I would say maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, in the acute phase, yes. So if you got it yesterday, absolutely, it's an acute inflammatory problem. If you just got to get on your bike and ride, then sure, because it'll feel better. Um, but in terms of actually making it better, if you've had that Achilles problem for six months, take it. But know that it's not fixing your problem. You're taking an anti-inflammatory for a non-inflammatory problem. Steroid injections. Um, and it's not the big steroids that get you jacked. These are just corticosteroids. I see at least five patients a week, probably twice that, who come in with chronic elbow pain. Uh, not as much for Achilles, but it happens. Patellar tendon who have had not one, not two, but four, five, six steroid shots over the last few years. Because it feels good, right? Steroids, their biggest problem is that they work. But it doesn't fix the problem, and you know the literature in this is really clear. If you go all the way back to the 80s, uh, when they first looked at what does steroids do to tendon cells, to tenocytes, it's horrible for tendon cells. It's actually really bad for the cells, and it causes a degeneration of the cells. And when we do some of our things with the PRP and all these other procedures to tendons that have had multiple steroid shots, without exception, patients don't do as well. It takes longer to heal. Um, when we look at 
fusion just, you know, forget tendons, just needs. If you have arthritis and people have had shot after shot after shot, you know, those are the needs when the joint surgeon goes in there. I mean, it's just, it looks like a bomb went off in there. Steroids are not necessarily the answer to everything. And just in the public, and, you know, myself included, there's sometimes just that time where you just want to feel better, and uh, it's easy to get that offered to you. So just know that if you have an acute problem, then I guess I should go back to how do you define acute and chronic? That's probably an important thing. I don't know. So I make it up. Anything less than two months, I consider acute. Anything more than six months is definitely chronic. And then that two to six month window is sort of a gray area. The reality is, I don't see a ton of people in that gray area. If you come right away, we have an opportunity. And if you decide you're going to try to tough it out, it's usually in that four, five, six months before you then kind of bite the bullet and go see the doctor. So we, we miss a lot of people in that gray zone, which is probably good because I never know quite what to do. Iontophoresis, <laughs> <laughs> it's something if you go to physical therapy that they might suggest, and all it is is taking a steroid, uh, using an electrical current. So instead of injecting a steroid, you use an electric current, you put these pads on, and it's sort of you know, through just the principles of electricity, drives the steroid into your body. Um, it works locally, it works a little bit. Um, biceps tendons, there's some things I still think it works pretty well for. Um, others kind of so-so. I always say it's not going to hurt, it may not help. That gives your therapist something to bill you for, but it's just, again, if you have a chronic tendonitis, just know that when they suggest this, maybe you can now question, like, why are you suggesting this? Um, therapeutic ultrasound. So I use ultrasound in my clinic to evaluate things. That's ultrasound like if you're having a baby trying to look. Therapeutic ultrasound just sends out these pulse ultrasound waves. Um, there's a boatload of literature, none of which is super solid to say it does much of anything. Um, I'm a believer though, and if it makes you feel better, go for it if it's not going to hurt you. An ultrasound falls firmly into one. It's, like, it's never going to make you worse. Uh, just may not make you better, or maybe the massage part of them rubbing on your leg might help some. So, some people think it helps a lot, some people don't, and I don't know. Um, again, there's no reason not to try something like this, because it's not going to hurt you. It just may not help a whole lot. Manual therapy, so, I mean, everyone probably had a massage, but there's also deep tissue massage that the therapists do. Uh, start with chiropractors, but there's ART and a lot of this active release stuff. Uh, there's a lot to that. So a lot of tendon problems are tight, you know, musculotendinous units, and uh, like I'll, I'll just be the bearer of bad news right here in this room. We're all getting stiffer, um, and you know, as long as we're alive, we're only going to get stiffer. Um, we don't get more pliable as we get older. We get stiffer, and as we get stiffer, we pull harder on our tendons because the whole that whole muscle tendon unit is just not as pliable as it once was. So you know, we can stretch, and it's funny, I was talking to someone, I guess years ago I told people to go to yoga, I've had kind of about face, and I'm kind of against yoga, so I need to kind of get my story straight, but in terms of stretching is really important, because we're, we're losing flexibility, and as we get tighter and then keep loading things the same, we set ourselves up for some of these things, so um, manual therapy is a way that in a sort of painful way. they Sometimes the therapists, massage people, chiropractors can really help us to get some extra stuff. And I actually really think it does work for a lot of things where we can get some, some things to release. Um, eccentrics, eccentrics. I gave a whole talk once to like a thousand internal medicine docs and the one nasty comment I got was Dr. Burkhoff, 
mispronounced eccentrics through the whole talk and I couldn't stand to listen to it. <laughs> so I was really bothered by it and I looked it up and now I still can't remember if it's eccentric or eccentric. So I, it's whatever it is, I'm going to say it wrong. So it's, it's you know, do you know what eccentrics are? I guess it's, so it's the negative rep. So if you were doing calf raises, you're standing up, right? That's a concentric exercise. So a negative or an eccentric is starting at the top and slowly going down. So if you're doing bicep curls, right, the curl is the up. The eccentric is the slow down. So if you look at when you hurt yourself, when you're running, you almost always tear your hamstring when your leg's hitting the ground, not when you're taking off, because your muscle is expanding as it's contracting to shorten. So it's an expanding load against its contracting force, and that's where you get the greatest forces. So the way we want to rehab a tendon is to load it. And you load it greatest with these eccentric exercises. So um, this goes back to the 80s. These guys, Kerwin and Stanis, there's a guy named Alfredson who came on 10 years later and somehow got all the press for it. So he's kind of the guy. But eccentric exercises, and there is very good literature in almost every body part, that they, they really do work. Um, and the theory behind it is you know, if a tendon is an organized structure, and as you get that degenerative mucoid generation, it turns into this kind of glob of whatever. And if you can load it hard enough, you can actually, and they've shown this on kind of electron microscopy, you can reorganize those tendon fibers. It's called mechanotransduction. So you can load a tendon cell enough that it will actually reorganize. Um, but to do that, you have to load it. And so I just told you the way you hurt yourself more often is an eccentric load. So the way we rehab it is with an eccentric load. So you can guess how it feels to do eccentric rehab, right? It hurts. And so, you know, I, I warn everybody, if you're really going to do this and work it, it's painful rehab. It's supposed to hurt. So if we're rehabbing a, a tennis elbow, and you're doing your exercises and it doesn't hurt, either you're better or you're not doing enough load, increase the load. And you keep increasing load till you feel like you're better because then you're better. So for knees, you know, this is really sophisticated, I know. <laughs> no, this, is, this is how I tell people how much to do. So if you do your exercises and it doesn't hurt tomorrow, do more. Um, if you do your exercises and the next day it's killing you, you did too much. And if you're doing your exercises and later that day it's still talking to you but it's settling down, that's perfect. Um, shockwave therapy, I, it's, it's a whole swathe thing that cavitates inside our cells and ruptures the cells. It's incredibly painful. There's a high and a low. You have to like rent these machines to so gotta find the place that does it. For plantar fasciitis, there's actually been some literature that shows that it does help. For most of the other tendons, it's pretty equivocal. It hurts, it's expensive, and I haven't tried it and I don't use it. So I don't I don't say much pro, pro or against other than uh, it hasn't proven out that it's gotten so good that everyone else has jumped on the bandwagon. My whole goal is like how can we find other ways to treat tendons? And, uh, you know, some of these things I do are a little bit off in the left field. So nitroglycerin, if anyone ever here has had a friend, because no one here would have this problem, heart problems, um, right? Nitroglycerin, that's what we slap on people's chest when they're having a heart attack or having an angina. Um, so a, again, the smarter person than I figured this out, who was at Duke when, long before I was there, um, nitroglycerin is a vasodilator, right? So we have a tendon that's a little bit avascular. Like what if they slap a nitro patch on our sore tendons? Now, it gets a little more complicated than that because nitro, one of its byproducts is nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is just one of those substances right now that there's startups in RTP that are you know, throwing billions of dollars at because 
it does all sorts of great stuff. And one of the things that it does is it increases fibroblast turnover. So it increases cell turnover rate. And we already said that the problem with tendons is they heal really slow. So nitro just kind of turns up the volume on that. And there's great papers out there showing that just this nitro patch, you know, stuck on your elbow, stuck on your knee, with rehab, people get better. And chronic tendinopathy gets better. And we have a colleague of mine in Greensboro who's a big tennis player and runner, and we have now thousands of patients that we've done this for over the last five years. Uh, it's really a neat intervention. It's neat to me because, again, right, no downside. I like safe things. So other than a bad headache or no Viagra for the guys, um, you can use it very safely, but you can also keep doing what you want to do. So you can ride, you can get in the pool and swim if it's your elbow, you can go play golf, right? You can keep doing what you're doing while kind of treating yourself in the background. So it's a neat thing. Now, the pharmacies have a hard time. The, some of your primary doctors sometimes call me a lot because it's definitely an off-label off use of a medicine. But it's a medicine that once you're using it, there's virtually no side effects once you're used to it. It's a patch you stick on your arm and you go about your business. So there's a nice intervention that we can do that really does help. Uh, it's easy, side effects. Uh, prolotherapy, has anybody ever heard of prolotherapy? It's always out there. It kind of it's a little fringy, but maybe it should be a little less fringy sometimes. So all prolotherapy is is using some sort of injection to create an inflammatory response. And the reason it makes sense in some things is you have this kind of smoldering area that doesn't heal. And if I could inject something that kind of you know relights the fire in our body to kind of recreate an inflammatory response, sometimes that can just you know restart the process and get it to heal. And that's you know, the boil-down response to prolotherapy, and people prolotherapy everything. I mean, you can, anything that hurts, prolo is the answer for some people. And I'm not sure I believe in that, but we've done a lot for chronic tendinopathy with some good success. And um, prolotherapy often comes with a needle, and you know, the next slide is this fenestration, which I can combine the two. Fenestrating is just poking holes in something. And so sometimes if you poke enough holes and just get it to bleed, it will start to heal. So one of the treatments I use for chronic tendinopathy, just poke a lot of holes. Now a lot of holes is a tiny needle, but you know, 40 or 50 passes. So it's a whole like really Swiss cheese to tendon. Um, and then if you put a little prolotherapy, all prolotherapy is any inflammatory. We use sugar water, so dextrose. It's like it's like squirting Tabasco on your brain tonight, right? It just lights it up a little bit. Um, and so you can imagine like the first few weeks afterwards, not so much fun. Um, but when it settles down, sometimes it's, it's able to kind of restart that healing process. So again, it's relatively safe. It's, I use sugar water. There's not much that can go wrong with that. It's a little needle, but it's a minimally invasive procedure that can often get people better. Um, sclerotherapy is kind of interesting. So some of the guys who were kind of the big prolotherapists, we were talking once, and this guy had this idea, well, maybe it's those vessels in there that are the problem, right? We already said there's these pathologic little vessels, and I think with those vessels come some pathologic little nerve endings. And so he would go in, and if you think of, and the video stopped playing, but this is an elbow tendon, and the vessels come from the top down, so it's like a tree. And so instead of taking a prolotherapy solution, you kind of jack it up more, so it's like, remember, had varicose veins sclerote. So the exact same idea, we sclerose these little vessels. And so we would go in, and mostly I found it worked in elbow tendons. And it's like you're looking at a tree, and you just cut the, cut the trunk off the tree, and all of a sudden you watch there's no more color. 
and you do that for a couple of times in a row, get rid of all those pathologic neovessels, and people get better, which is really interesting and perplexing because we've had a number, and over the years, lots and lots of people with years of chronic elbow problems who all we did was sclerosis, right? The vessels on top. I never touched the tendon, and it got better. So maybe, and this is where it kind of brings you back to that last pain model, right? Maybe it's really just a pain problem. And if you get rid of the pain, then you can do your rehab better, because right, that's what's really going to get it better, and you get better. So sometimes maybe we just need to knock out the pain. And sclerotherapy is, again, a really safe, super easy way to do that. Like I said, fenestrating is just poking holes. Um, kind of the, the higher, fancier now, year 2000 version of fenestrating and prolotherapy is PRP. Has anybody heard of PRP? Couple, right? Platelet-rich plasma. This is, in the sports world, this is Kobe Bryant and Tiger Woods, right? Those blood injections. Uh, you know, Kobe flies to Germany for 10 grand. You can do it at Carolina with us for 500 bucks. So, so <laughs> just a little plug, like you don't have to go all the way to Germany. But, um, all PRP is, is platelet-rich plasma, where the idea is Within our platelets and our plasma, that's where our body carries most of our growth factors. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of our growth factors. We've only identified that. It's really the tip of the iceberg. But within that tip of the iceberg, there's a lot of good growth factors that we know help healing. So all we do is take your blood and spin it and take off the things we don't want, the red cells and the white cells, and we're left with this little graph, if you will, of platelets and plasma. And we inject that right back into elbows, plantar fascia, uh, tendons, cup tears, all these things that, again, typically don't heal, but poke a whole bunch of holes and now fill those holes with growth factors, and we're getting an even better healing response to really kind of not only make your pain better, but maybe try to get some new tissue to grow in there that is more like the original tissue. And I'd argue we're never really like growing a perfect tendon back, but... Um, one of the things we found with PRP when we're talking about muscle injuries and scar is it helps us heal in a more anatomic fashion, which is sometimes the key to not having problems. So hamstring tears, the biggest problem with hamstring tears we see in sports is you get another one after you've had one because once everything gets tight and PRP's helped us tremendously with just reducing recidivism. So um, it's super safe, right? What's safer than me injecting you with you? Um, I draw your blood, I inject it right back into you, so it's, it's nice. I, it can hurt, because it's not a steroid, there's no anti-inflammatory effect. Um, and it hurts the wall a little bit too, because insurance companies have never really jumped on board with our novel treatments, so it's an uncovered procedure. Um, but it's out there, it's something that we do very, very frequently now, uh, and with better and better success. So again, like, you can see our toolbox is getting bigger and bigger with things that typically with tenopathy it was, you know, go to orthopedic surgeon. Uh, rest. Oh, let's go back to rest for a sec. So why shouldn't you do nothing for tendonitis? Because I took these slides out. If you look at animal models, and we do some bench research with rats, if we take a rat, a mouse, we take a small animal, and just circlage its legs so it can't move, right? So it just shuts down the tendon, as if you put a boot on your Achilles because it hurts a lot, and you just leave it like that, the tendon degenerates just like if it had tendonitis. So tendons do as bad with complete no load as they do when they're injured. So completely shutting something down, casting things, and a lot of bracing everything, I actually think is the wrong thing to do. We'll do it in the short term sometimes if it's so painful, 
but you have to load these things. And the only way that we can get that mechanical transaction is to load them. So, you know, the next time you're told, you know, just rest for six weeks, you know, just maybe you'll remember one thing from this and think, oh, maybe that's not the best idea to get back to what I want to do down the road. It'll make you feel better in the short term, but long term our goal is to like get structural healing so we can get back at it. And then there's all the other fancy stuff. So I've been doing research, so we talked about some of these growth factors. There's a medicine that came out in rheumatology that's an IL-1 receptor antagonist, so a very specific now cytokine that's directly involved in inflammation. And then there's like, what do you do when all these little things don't work? So there's surgery, and there's this new thing, and I put this in there because 10x is kind of all out on the airways right now. It's in a procedure I started doing about five years ago, and it's a partial percutaneous tenotomy. So Sometimes when all else fails, you just got to get the muck out. And you can do it two ways. You can do it with the big hole or a little hole. And the big hole is, you know, an elbow surgeon, and they'll just give you a three-inch incision, right? Open it up, cut out the muck, sew it back together, and you'll do fine. This company took the device that we do retinal surgery with, right? It's obviously a very precise device. It's basically a needle that vibrates at 20,000 RPM. So imagine just how precise you can cut with something that's sharp that vibrates really fast and then it irrigates because anything that vibrates fast gets hot and you suck it all out. So this company named Tenex made a bigger one and kind of worked on how we could do this for tendinopathy and basically what they found is at that vibratory frequency healthy tendons still really vibrate. Now if you turn it up you can cut almost anything. You can cut bones. You can cut anything. Um, but it preferentially just disintegrates that the muck irrigates and aspirates. So now we can make a tiny hole, like literally so small we don't even stitch it. We put this device in, we use the ultrasound to watch where we're going. So now instead of having to get cut open, tiny little hole, I do this in clinic, the device goes in, I can debride away all that pain generating tissue, put a Steri-Strip on, three days later you're already, you know, brushing your teeth and your hair, and it is remarkable how quickly People notice you change your 24 hours a day, that dull, achy, toothache pain if you've ever had tendonitis, um, for like somebody just cut on my arm pain, and that heals very quickly. So it's been a really neat solution for our patients who aren't getting better from some of these other things. And it works for things like chronic plantar fasciitis, right? That sucks. It's horrible. It's no fun. And after a year and it's not going away, like you just want something to be done. And if you look at one of the surgeries most of our surgeons do, they just do a gastroc release. So they cut your calf so everything relaxes. But as a runner or a cyclist, I don't want my calf cut. I'd like to keep it, like, I don't even have very big calves to begin with. I want to keep what I got. So, you know, there are things that maybe if we can do some of these interventions in a smaller way, it'll be good. Uh, microspheres, I should think that. Now we're looking at all this other technology where actually you can put medicine in microspheres and get these delayed release things. Um, and then stem cells. We started doing some stem cell procedures. Stem cells are just kind of the big brother to PRP, where we're actually injecting pluripotent cells that might be able to differentiate back into an actual phenocyte. So, and then last, it gets one slide. Like if everything else fails, go have surgery. But uh, it doesn't happen very often that we can't fix people. All right. So stretching work. The, the stretching naysayers are all hanging their hats on some literature that says. Stretching before exercise doesn't help, and that is true. There is no value to it, and if you look at athletes, it decreases force production. It has all sorts of kind of really more detrimental effects, if anything. And so, you know, the best way we warm up athletes, and it goes all the you know, 
go Google FIFA 11, like if you look at soccer and everything, it's dynamic warm-up plans just to get muscles loose and get things moving, but stretching should be done after, right? When everything's warm and you're done, then you stretch things. When we're talking about injuries and stretching, uh, to me, stretching can work, and you know, yoga to me is just it's a prolonged stretch, but you know, that pigeon pose when like eight different joints are folded in half, like it just doesn't, it doesn't, like, maybe it was better when I was 30 and now that I'm not 30 anymore, it <laughs> sounds like less of a good idea. Stretching works if you do it a lot. Stretching doesn't work once a week, probably doesn't work every other day, probably doesn't work to stretch once a day. Um, if you stretch regularly, so I tell patients, like, if we're really trying to get some flexibility, you shoot for 10 times a day. Just for 30 seconds a minute, but you know, if you can give me 10 minutes in the morning to stretch, I say give me 10 minutes throughout the day with a minute here and a minute there. Because you know, it's just you know, simple math. If you stretch for 10 minutes in the morning for 23 hours and 50 minutes till your next morning, you're right back like you were. So what's the odds that you've really made any appreciable difference? Very little. If throughout the day you're kind of constantly reminding that muscle tendon unit, it's supposed to be longer, it's supposed to be longer you'll have a greater chance of making some improvements. Uh, so your hamstring tendon is that right up in the bottom of your tush, right at your sit bones. So, right, those two parts that are supposed to be sitting on our bike seat, when you get that saddle, it butterflies out a little too wide, and all of a sudden it's like achy right down at the, right at your sit bones. That's your hamstring insertion right there. And so, you know, I saw it a lot more in triathletes, and I'll tell you, I saw it a lot more in women triathletes, because I found women became very quad dominant very quickly. They got strong in their quads disproportionately to their hamstrings and then they, everybody folded forward into their tri bikes. And as you fold forward, whether it's on your tri bike or just all of you guys on your road bikes, right? As our bars go out and down, we're increasing the stretch on our hamstrings and our back, but our hamstrings as well. And so you put that hamstring in a chronic stretch, then you're hammering out with huge watts because you got such strong quads and your hamstrings just can't carry the load. And that's where we see this kind of a lot of in cyclos chronic hamstrings. I've always I've always erred on ice because I feel like it helped me more. Um, you know, sometimes in an acute injury, warm is always a little worrisome to me because you're increasing blood flow to an area that it's already got a big you know you sprain your ankle. There's plenty of blood there already. Um, warm may not be helping it in the short term. Long term, you know, when I always say heat is best for backs. This is, understand this is purely my opinion and anecdote, there's no science behind any of this, but I like heat for backs and I like cold for everything else. So, you know, I was a huge fan when I trained for long stuff of the ice bath. Like, I still have a wetsuit top and fill the bathtub with ice after your 100 mile ride and just get in. And you spend 10 minutes there. And look, you feel better afterwards. Like, forget science, but maybe it's just because you got out and you survived again. Uh, I felt like you recovered quicker, and I think there's something to, like, if you look at ice and cryotherapy, one of the problems is just getting penetration and really getting cold and deep where you need it. And, you know, water helps to do that, but you got to be in there for a while. So I would tell all of you to try it after a long ride. You will enjoy getting out. Weight training as prevention? Yeah, weight is critical. Like everybody, you know, the other downside to aging is we get stiff and our muscles evaporate. Like this is just 
it's true. You lose muscle mass at a predictable rate. It's like one to two percent every year or two. Like that's just what happens. So you have to build muscle to stay even as we get older. So I think, and I'm a huge promoter. I think everybody here should be doing weight training of some sort. That's a great question. I think you know riding our bikes for hundreds of miles is great fitness and it's great for our brains and it, you know it's good for about seven muscle groups. But the rest of our bodies really need, you know, one, weight-based stuff. So if you only bike, like, you need some impact stuff on the ground. But just you know, strengthening is critical just to keep everything strong and healthy. Rotator cuffs, right? They only age. They don't get healthy. All right. Thank you.